On this episode, I'm in the room with Barnabas Piper discussing the unique challenges of being a pastor's kid. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 14. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me online at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. Now, if this is your first time listening to In the Room, the goal is pretty simple. I want to bring you in the room for conversations with pastors, authors, and artists. I want to invite you to listen in on what I hope are interesting conversations with a diverse group of people. Today, I'm in the room with Barnabas Piper. He's a prolific blogger at both The Blazing Center and BarnabasPiper.com, and he also writes for World Magazine. Most recently, he's written uh, his first book called The Pastor's Kid. Now, if you don't know, Barnabas is the son of one of the most influential pastors of our generation, Pastor John Piper. In our conversation, we discuss what makes being a pastor's kid uniquely difficult, some of the keys to creating a home and church culture where PKs can thrive, and seven rules for when you meet a pastor's kid. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues, so you'll notice some clipping on some of the questions that I ask, but thankfully, the conversation is still great. So come on into the room for my conversation with Barnabas Piper. Well, Barnabas, thanks so much for being on In the Room. I really appreciate having you. Love your new book, The Pastor's Kid, and excited to talk to you about that. And uh, to start, uh, I want to start at this place where your your book goes to great lengths to unpack the unique difficulties of being a pastor's kid. And uh, I, I can anticipate some people maybe pushing back a little bit that aren't pastors, kids don't have much experience with that, that might push back and say, um, you know, it's difficult to be any kid. Why should we give special attention to the pastor's kids? So tell me a little bit about what do you think it is? I'm a first generation pastor. So Mm -hmm. I'm obviously really curious about this for my own kids, but, but what is it that makes being a pastor's kid so uniquely challenging? That's a fair, that's a really fair question. And I've, I, you know, I've had a couple people, especially as I was telling people what I was writing about that kind of gave me this look like, how is that any different than anything else? I mean, doesn't it? Yeah. Like you said, doesn't everybody have their, their own challenges? Yeah. The things that set being a pastor's kid apart are not that the kids are functionally any different. We are just normal kids uh, with all of our own idiosyncrasies uh, and weaknesses and uh, sinful tendencies and whatever else. But It's the pressure that's put on a pastor's kid because in a church context, everybody watches the pastor's kid, whether or not they mean to. It's not that people are spying or like peeping toms, but just there's there's an awareness and the pressure that comes with it. And then there's the spiritual expectations uh, and lifestyle expectations. You are supposed to be a certain way. So whereas other kids maybe have the freedom to kind of go unnoticed – uh, the pastor's kid very rarely has that freedom in a church context. Yeah, I mean, no, no, uh, no plumber's kid is is looked at at church, and like no one expects that kid to be more holy than any other kid. But that's definitely not true of the pastor's kids. They do expect more. Right. Exactly. So, and that you know, and that shows itself in terms of don't run in church. Like yeah. if there's, if there's 15 kids charging through church in it, like a pack of wolves, uh, the pastor's kid's the one who's going to get collared and, yeah. you know, finger wagging in the face kind of thing. Uh, and, and then as they get older in Sunday school and whatnot, it's, they're expected to answer questions and, yeah. uh, and be the leader and, and set an example. I mean, the set an example thing is something that, that 
that phrase just kind of gives me the the shivers because of the number of times I was told that. Totally. And I wasn't a particularly well-behaved child, so being an example <laughs> wasn't yeah. right up my alley. Well, one of the things I like about your book is that you really write to three audiences. You're writing to pastors, you're writing to churches, and then also to PKs. And so I wonder, on those kind of three fronts, if you could just kind of walk me through each of them, what do you think are the most common mistakes? We'll start with pastors. What are the mm-hmm. most common mistakes that pastors are making as parents with their kids? Yeah, that, I think the, the biggest sort of category of problem is that pastors treat their kids like congregants and not like their own children. Yeah. And uh, what I mean by that is pastors, ha- there are expectations placed on pastors that are enormous uh, to, to have all the answers, to be kind of like on the pastor's kid, to have the answers, to be perfect, to know something about everything. Uh, you know, people look at pastors as an expert on finances and marriage and relationships and sex and business operations and like whatever else. Uh, but when pastors bring that stuff home, uh, they they distance themselves from their kids by preaching sermons, by always having an answer for everything and not having a genuine relationship with their kids um, in terms of, well, just like a, a healthy parent-child relationship where you're talking through challenges and you're listening to your kids and you're saying, I don't know, and you're saying, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, when pastors begin to try to live up to the expectations of their congregation and then they do that at home, it distances themselves. Um, and so, yeah, they miss out on the conversations. They miss out on just basic, really healthy, fun interactions by being a pastory kind of person instead yeah. of just dad. Yeah. And I, 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 Lord willing, I don't think I've made that mistake with my kids yet, but my, when we planted redemption five years ago, my parents were here for the mm-hmm. first year and different context relationally, obviously. But I think one of the great mistakes that I made in that year was I treated my own parents more like I was more of a pastor than I was a son. And that was really hard on our relationship, you know, in ways that I think we're still recovering from. Yeah. I mean, it's a really hard thing. I mean, I don't mean to put this on pastors in the sense of some sort of snide judgmentalism because being a pastor is a relational line of work. Yeah. Uh, you're, You're not working with numbers and projects. You're working with people. There's a reason that pastors are called shepherding. The word pastor itself comes from the idea of shepherding. So, it's hard to leave work at work yep. as a pastor because the relational thing kind of carries over, but you, there does have to be a subtle but distinct difference in the kind of relationship you have with children and the kind of relationship you have with, you know, Mrs. Jones who sits on the second row. That's right. Yeah. So then what about on the church end? What do you think some of the mistakes are that the church makes in relation to that? You've, you've hinted at some of it, but maybe just mm-hmm. a little bit more explicitly, what are the mistakes the church makes with kids? I think the church as a whole generally loves the pastor's family. Yeah. So the intentions are in the right place most of the time. There, you know, there are a few bad apples who just want to bring people down. But generally speaking, really good intentions expressed not very well. Because so for the pastor's kids specifically, there's a sense that everybody knows what I'm doing at all times. And people uh, exacerbate that by asking personal questions that they shouldn't know about. Yeah. You know, so I remember examples of people asking me about uh, how was my football game on Friday night or uh, prom date or what college was I going to pick or whatever. And I barely knew who these people were. Yeah. So there's the sense of they are in my business. And 
So people with good intentions are invading the privacy of a family and, and that creates a sense of pressure. So that, and that's simply a matter of the congregation needing to be more self-aware. Yeah. Simply saying, would I ask this of any other kid? If not, let's give the pastor's kid a little more space, even though I'm genuinely just trying to be caring. Yeah. Well, what about then on the, on the pastor's kids themselves? What do you, I mean, you are one mm-hmm. and you've interviewed dozens for this book. What are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that a pastor's kid makes, especially probably as they get older? I think <clears throat> you started off the podcast by asking, you know, what, what separates pastor's kids from other kids. Um, I think getting too absorbed in our differences can be problematic. And I realize there's a bit of irony in writing a book about pastor's kids and then saying, don't focus too much on how different you are. Yeah. But part of the theme of the book is the, the universal need for grace. Yep. Pastor's kids need to give an enormous amount of grace to our parents. That's something that I'm still learning and still working on because uh, pastors are in a tough spot. They churches are full of sinners, everybody, you know, and so grace just needs to abound in our own hearts. And then, and then in what we, what we give to others. Um, But then the, the other big mistake, and this is, I, I wouldn't say this is a willful mistake. It's more like a difficult, it's just a difficult circumstance is the challenge of a genuine relationship with Christ because when Christ is around you all the time growing up, you know, he's family devotions and prayers at meals and in church three or five or 15 times a week, uh, the books on the shelves around you, all of those things, he just becomes mundane. And there's not that dynamic life-changing interaction with Christ that there needs to be. So that is a weakness that pastors kids have is, is falling into the trap of I have a relationship with Christ simply because I have a lot of familiarity with him. Yeah. So what do you think that are some of the keys to creating both a home and a church culture where pastors kids can really thrive? Obviously it's the reverse of some of what you're talking right. about, but more specifically, like what, what are like specific in, things that could yeah, be done? Yeah. I think, I think it starts with church leadership uh, because leadership tends to set the tone in any culture and the leadership needs to set the tone. So that would, that would largely be the pastor or a pastoral staff, you know, kind of depending on the context of a church needs to set the tone of expectations. Yeah. Uh, in the American church, we have a tendency to put, uh, pastors up on a pedestal. So there's, there's too much respect given in one sense, like they too much, we think too highly of them, but then that also means that they fall a lot further when they make a mistake. Instead of having an expectation of, I am exactly like you in terms of my basic human nature. God has called me to do this. I may have some gifts to preach or to shepherd, but that doesn't make me innately more valuable than anybody else. Yeah. Um, so if you, if, if that kind of culture can be instilled in a congregation where people love their pastor and respect their pastor, but don't think of him as some sort of infallible Pope figure, sure. which people do, they just don't yeah. realize it. Like yeah. there's a lot of similarities between like say Baptists and Catholics yeah. in terms of how clergy is viewed, but Baptists will just stone you for saying that. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's, so if it starts with that expectation and then it comes, then the congregation and has to conscientiously try to do that and say, 
I will pray for them as if they need lots of grace. I will seek to give grace. I will seek to give space, space to like make mistakes, for example, because pastors will. I mean, there are mistakes that disqualify people from ministry, but then there are just people kind of mistakes, sinful mistakes. But people will often like knock the pastor down a few notches in their respect because, oh, he lost his temper or something. And everybody does that sometimes. Yeah. And then for the for the pastor's kid, that means that they then have the room to try to f- carve out a normal life. The ministry ceases to be as burdensome and is and is just this this key part of their life. And maybe the maybe the calling their dad has is less of a problem for them and more of a that's what dad does. We're behind it. It's a part of life, but it's not something that makes me dislike the church. Sure. So then <clears throat> on the home front. One of the things I found really interesting is you, you were kind of, I think in a really good way, sort of down on using the language of, uh, of, of pastoring your home mm-hmm. as a pastor. Um, and so and maybe explain a little bit about that so that, so that people can understand, because obviously a- any dad is supposed to be a shepherd in his family, mm-hmm. but as a pastor, uh, when you pastor the same way at home that you do at church, that's problematic as you've right. said. So, so why do you discourage pastors from pastoring their home, if you will? The, yeah, the, the biggest reason for that is because of what pastor has come to mean in culture. Okay. So when a, when a father hears pastor your family, they immediately think of the stereotypical role of pastor, the authority figure, the upfront figure, the one who has an answer for everything, sort of the, the Superman figure. Yeah. And that doesn't work at home. I mean, I'm a dad and I'm the least Superman-ish guy I know. Like I, I spend every day thinking, I wonder what I screwed up today with my kids. I'm trying yeah. my hardest. I love them. I want to show them all sorts of grace. But I mean, parents just botch stuff all the time. Yeah. And so you try to bring that Superman thing home and nobody will see through it quicker than your own family. Yeah. Your wife knows that it's bunk. Your kids know that it's bunk. And and it, uh, it sort of undermines your own parenting. So that doesn't mean don't be a spiritual leader, and it doesn't mean don't set an example, and it doesn't mean don't teach, but it does mean set aside all those garbage expectations of being that, that key figurehead kind of Superman guy, because that's just not going to work. Yeah, totally. One of the things that you've mentioned, and I've been thinking a lot more about this as my kids are, I have three kids, six, four, and two. And uh, one of the unique experiences for pastor's kids is having, as you've said, people know certain things about them that they wouldn't know otherwise. And I think it's even worse now because of social media, but especially because they're used in sermon illustrations. And I talk about my kids in sermon illustrations. And so I I wonder what, as a pastor's kid, and especially having a prominent pastor as a dad, what do you think about, you think that pastors should use their kids in illustrations? If so, what are some best practices? Should we incorporate our families into Instagram and social media? Just like, how do we... How do we do all that in a way that doesn't completely jack up our kids? I think the younger your kids are, the safer that stuff is. Yeah. Um, you know, if if they're young enough that they're not going to – I mean, so we're probably talking like before elementary school. Once yeah. a kid is into elementary school, that self-awareness starts to grow. At that point, I don't think there's a blanket answer. Yeah. But I think pastors – need to be really conscientious about those things and, and asking their kids about them Yeah, in the sense of um, 
don't take their first answer. Because if you say, hey, do you mind if I use this story? Your kid's probably going to say yes because they know your sermon is really important. They know that saying they they don't want to undermine what you do. One of the hardest things about being a pastor's kid is if you have a tension with ministry, it's hard to speak up about that because you know that this is a spiritual thing and you don't want to fight with God or fight with dad's calling. So if they say, ah, yeah, it's okay, like dig a little deeper and find out, does it, does like, do you like being talked about? Does yeah. it bother you? Does it offend you? Are people coming up and commenting on it afterwards? And kind of try to find that extra layer there because I, I think, I think a lot of pastors overdo it without even realizing it. Yeah. They're not necessarily thoughtless. They're just not digging deep enough into their kids. How do their kids really feel about this? Because yeah. um, I'd say even with my son, Ryder is four and super into all things superheroes, <clears throat> has this gigantic Thor hammer. And I think I used something about something that had happened as an illustration with him. And I, and I was with him after the sermon and somebody had come up and asked him something about a Thor hammer. And I could just tell on his face, even at four, he was like, who is this person? And how do they know about this? And right. I could just tell he was uncomfortable. So even as early as four, I just remember in that moment feeling much more mindful. Honestly, I don't think because I wasn't a pastor's kid, I don't know if it even crossed my mind. I was just trying to be transparent about my life and family yeah. and be normal from the pulpit in a way that is makes me seem accessible as opposed to, you know, popish. When I, and that's, and that is, yeah, and that is a really tricky thing because pastors want, you know, I want to be normal, want to keep those expectations in check. And one of the ways to do that is to talk about your own life. You know, like you just said, that's sharing your stories with people. Hey, this is how I handled a situation. That is, there's no more normal way to communicate with people. Um, So I think another thing just for pastors in general is the, the freedom to be more explicit in asking things of their congregation. Like, Hey, I'm going to tell you a story. Please don't talk to my kids about this. Like they're here. They know I'm doing this, but like, this is about my interactions with them. It's not that his love of, you know, Thor or whatever. And I I had a chance to, to do a a series of blog interviews with some different pastors leading up to the book. And, and uh, Ed Stetzer in his answers, said something that made me, you know, almost like I was fist pumping while reading his responses to my, my yeah. simple questions. Cause he said that they, at their church, it's, you know, it's a relatively recent church plan, a couple hundred people. Um, they make no bones about the fact that they will not stand for pastor's kid jokes or anything that sort of invades the privacy or puts expectations on a pastor's kid. Like they, they say that to the congregation There's a protective measure. And I loved that. Cause I, th- I thought, Pastors can do that. They can say, hey, I'm going to tell you this, but please don't, you know, don't take this back to my family and like try to get in. Like, it's not, it's my story, not necessarily theirs. And just to try to help, help the congregation understand that interaction. Yeah. I'm curious. You you did, I know, interviewed a lot of dozens, I think you said, of pastors, kids leading up to Mm -hmm. the book. And I'm curious if there's any, you know, there's all the horror stories of pastors, kids that have walked away from the Lord or hate the church and all of that. But I wonder if there's any consistent patterns that you found between those that had have had positive experiences, or at least like you, still love God and mm-hmm. the church, at least to a degree. As far as like maybe the way that yeah. their parents parented or the church was, you know, any consistent things there? Um, in terms of the, the positive experiences, I will say the thing that surprised me most, so I went into those series of interviews, like I said, several dozen, are uh, expecting 
a larger no, a larger amount of sort of bitterness and angst and distance. What shocked me was the number of pastors' kids who are now in vocational ministry. Yeah. Um, including myself. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not a pastor to church, but I work at Lifeway Christian Resources and I work in church leadership development. Mm -hmm. So I have brought my experiences of growing up around church leaders and then having worked at a couple of churches into a context where I can, I'm still trying to serve churches. Uh, and so that the, there is a consistency in a gospel-based home in terms of a genuine gospel of grace and repentance, especially if the parents model that makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, so instead of a parent just preaching it, they do go to their kids and say, I'm so sorry for okay. whatever. I sinned against you in this way. Would you please forgive me? So that those kids have a, like, they get it. When they read, forgive, you know, Jesus forgives sins and God forgives sins, they go, oh, I've seen forgiveness in my own home. My parents forgive me. They don't hold things over my head. They even ask for my forgiveness. And then I need to do the same thing when I sin. And so there's there's that kind of element. And then there's just the raw elements of strong biblical teaching. That that is the that is the building block that those are the building blocks that the Holy Spirit uses to 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 create a faith mm -hmm. in somebody. And so to have those things in pastors' kids um, makes a big, big difference because they may reject it for years. But all that stuff is still there. And at some point, God can reach in and take that biblical knowledge that's lying latent in them and, and turn it into something. And that's something the pastor's kids have an advantage over a lot of other people because we are around the Bible so much growing up, yeah. at least in a certain kind of home we are. Yeah. Uh, like in my home, I mean, there's just a consistency to it. And I did not appreciate it at the time. And even now, I might go back and change some of the ways it was done. Mm -hmm. But the raw material is priceless in yeah. terms of shaping life for later ministry and later faith. I didn't ask you really at the top. Usually I do about background, but mm -hmm. you know, most people that listen to this will know who your dad is, John Piper. And, uh, so I'm just wondering like what, uh, I always ask about people's background growing yeah. up, but your journey specifically as a pastor's kid, um, you know, what was that like? I know in the book you talk about, you know, having a, a season where you, wandered, at least spiritually in your own heart, had doubts and, and all of that. But can you just tell me a little bit about what, 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 what has your journey thus far been like? Yeah. Um, so when I was born, uh, 1983, my dad had been a pastor for about three years. Okay. The church was, would probably be considered midsize at that point, maybe four ish hundred people. So not tiny, but, mm -hmm. uh, but not a mega church by any means. And then, uh, and then the church and his ministry grew over the next 20-ish years, well, 15 to 20 years, kind of peaking or reaching its its height in the late 90s, early 2000s, kind of with the rise of the passion movement. And right. that's kind of where he went from respected author and speaker to, you know, the Christian phenomenon, celebrity kind of thing that, that he is yeah. uh, in terms of people knowing who he is. My journey along that, so, so my life growing up, through my early teens and mid teens was, was more of a typical pastor's kid in the sense that I, I there was not a lot of outside exposure. Social uh -huh. media didn't exist yet. Um, so it was just my context in the church. So, so what I write about in the book in terms of the pressures placed on me and those kinds of things, that's, that's purely just pure church context. Yeah. Um, 
And so at, when I was maybe seven or eight years old, I, I gave my life to Christ. You know, went into my dad's office and sat on his lap and prayed the prayer to say, I, you know, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Give my life to Christ. And from that point on, I considered myself a believer with all the ups and downs. Overall, I love church. Uh, so my, my angst in the book is not about hating church. It's about frustration with aspects of the relationship between church and pastor's family. Okay. Um, my, my friends were through church, loved youth group, et cetera. Um, the, the underlying, the sort of an underlying problem throughout all that though, was, was always, uh, mistaking my awareness of God and my knowledge of God for an actual relationship with Jesus at a, at a real healthy, deep transformative level. The Holy spirit was working in my life. I mean, I go back and trace growth, but there was not that sense of personal, I love Jesus Mm -hmm. because I know Jesus. All right, friends, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need your help. If we're going to make this as easy as possible for people to find, then we have to increase our visibility on iTunes. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes and leave a short review. It's that easy. It's such a small price to pay for this great content. Every review makes a huge difference. So keep spreading the word and thanks for your support. Now back to the conversation. So is there something I would never, I never want to put you in a position to like, Mm -hmm. you know, throw your dad under the bus or anything like that. I have a ton of respect for him. Um, Are there things that your mom or dad could have done better or different? Mm -hmm. I mean, every kid's going to be able to answer yes, but, but to, to really help push those things from just Mm -hmm. information about to a more personal, as you call it, transformative, like what are some things maybe that could have been done, you know, different? We won't even yeah, say better. That's, I'm, I feel comfortable answering that question because my dad has talked about some of these things. Okay. Uh, this is not something that, and, and I've talked with him about these things. So yeah. this isn't, I'm not going to be throwing stones in, an, in a, in a you know, disrespectful or dishonoring yeah. way. Um, my dad has a prophetic voice. That is a, it's a gift that God gave him. It's an unusual thing. Uh, it, but it was a little bit like being raised uh, kind of, you know, by like the prophet Isaiah. You know, it's in the sense of like, he says these things that, and writes these books that have ripple effects through thousands and thousands of people's lives. But he would even say his own interactions with his kids, uh, while, while not sinful by any means. I mean, he, he was, he was a, I don't remember him doing, you know, he didn't lose his temper or anything like that. He was super consistent in terms of what he taught and the way he was at home, but he wasn't a deeply personal guy. Uh, he, he wasn't that some of that's just by nature. He's just, is that true of him in general? Yes. Yeah. Uh, just, he's very introverted when he's, Mm -hmm. so what you see in the pulpit in terms of the expressiveness of that, that's sort of his outlet for those things. But at home with friends, he's a much more reserved person. Yeah. Um, and so what, what I, and I'm not going to say there's a one-to-one correlation between if he had done this, my life would have been different because that's not fair to put on him. That doesn't acknowledge my own heart's condition, et cetera. Yeah. But something that he has said he could do better, and I agree, is he, he didn't just sort of engage the emotion and sort of ebbs and flows of life in terms of talking through. I didn't have conversations with my dad about things I'm struggling with or dating girls or getting really frustrated after our team lost a triple overtime football game. I mean, these are, so those kinds of things, there wasn't just sort of the like throwing arm around you, just sort of 
walk through, talk through life aspect of things there. Um, but those are important things because they, they give a relational basis to things. And there, while I don't believe that, I don't believe 100% that what a, what a child sees in their dad is what they see in God, there are echoes. Sure. And if something is missing from a relationship with dad, it, it can be re- missing from a relationship with God. And so that I think could have played a part in my just not seeing Jesus as a personal relational figure as much as a theological entity. Yeah. So that, I mean, that That's I would good. say that, and, and my mom, my mom is a similar kind of person. She is, she's one of the strongest, most productive type of people I've ever met. Just, uh, you know, never, ever have I heard her say a bad word about my dad. She has been his partner in ministry for forever. Um, but also not sort of the sit down and chat through things kind of person. That's just not who God made her to be personally. And so that was just a bit of a void there for me that I think could have been different. Well, I've wondered about this, but I I wonder if one of the more difficult aspects of being uh, a pastor's kid is, is the having to quote unquote, like share your dad in a unique way. Yeah. Uh, especially <clears throat> I wonder just for you personally, if, if at any point in your life, it's ever been frustrating, um, that there is like an entire generation of young men now, especially because of the passion thing, probably mm-hmm. that really look to your dad as a spiritual father. Um, you know, my church is filled. I'm a young guy. My church is filled with guys that are even younger than me Mm -hmm. as we have this rise of, you know, kids in general, but men in particular that, you know, don't have relationships with a dad and are looking for some sort of father figure as people find that in your dad, is that ever that sharing, was that ever hard for you? Um, I've thought about that and the, the spiritual father figure thing doesn't bother me. Uh, and I'm glad it doesn't cause I don't think it should. Yeah. Uh, because, and I, I, all I can really attribute this to is, you know, God helping me have some perspective on things is, I, I mean, I see what my dad does in ministry and I go, that's who he's supposed to be. Yeah. If I resented people's responses to that, that would be problematic on my side. Mm-hmm. I do and have at various times gotten frustrated with sort of the the hype about him. And that's not his fault. He is the least hype person in the world. Just does not give two hoots about it. But I mean, I was texting with my cousin just last night who is in a college ministry and, you know, was talking to another guy and they asked, well, what town is, what town are you from? And my cousin said, Oh, I'm from this town called Barnesville. And the guy goes, Oh, isn't that where John Piper got married? Holy cow. Which is true. My dad got married in Barnesville, Georgia, because that's where my mom grew up. And yeah. so it was, you know, her home church. Uh, and and so my my cousin just sort of backed away slowly from this conversation. But he texted me because he just kind of was like apologizing on behalf of this guy. <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff happens with more regularity than you'd think. You know, that when I, when I moved into Wheaton College. Um, oh, yeah, I bet. So I moved into Wheaton College and I arrived my first day. So my mom drives me down. We've got the van full of, you know, junk for the dorm room. And waiting in the dorm lobby for me are two, two guys who don't even go to Wheaton who just knew that John Piper's son was moving in and were excited to, to help me move in. And like, that was day one prior to orientation even starting. And so what did I mean, you I, say to them? Just, I mean, politeness is like the baseline there. You're like, yeah. this is what I've got to offer. I'm not going to be a jerk. And I'm just, 
maybe going to hope that they go get lunch soon and then you sort of disappear. And it's just that kind of thing has happened with some regularity and that can be really bothersome. But again, that's not, that's just, that's people being, having strange responses to stuff. I mean, that's, they don't even maybe know they're strange, just sort of the celebrity driven culture. People get really geeked up to know really dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, but the spiritual father kind of thing that doesn't bother you. I wish, I wish those people's spiritual fathers were their own dads or their own pastors just for their own sake. It would be better for them if John Piper didn't have to be their spiritual father. But at the same time, there are authors who have impact on tons and tons of people. I mean, C.S. Lewis is still spiritually fathering people and he's been dead for a long time. Totally. So I'm on, and, and I, I have an appreciation for that because I just look at it and go, that is what God gave him to do and he's doing it. Yeah. Well, the story about the two creepos at Wheaton, it's a really great segue into my next question, because <laughs> um, that's bizarre. <clears throat> but one of my favorite parts, actually, of the book was the appendix at the end, mm-hmm. um, where you put seven rules for when you meet a pastor's kid. <laughs> yeah. And I know, you know, people from my church, people from other churches are going to be listening to this. And I think this is just really helpful. And so I was wondering if I kind of just go through these, mm-hmm. if you could just, you know, kind of summarize what you mean by these seven things, I think that'd be super informative for people. Yeah, absolutely. So the first one you have, uh, do not ask us, what is it like to be the son or daughter of, and then you can kind of fill in the blank. So what, what's frustrating about that? Uh, Well, I think that applies specifically to, to more well-known pastors. I don't know that that's a question that all pastors kids get, but what's frustrating is I only have one set of parents. I don't have a point of reference other than my own parents. And so what's it like to be their kid? I don't know. What's it like to be the child of your parents? Yeah. I mean, this is that, that question almost doesn't make sense. It's, it's the expectation there is that to be the son or daughter of whoever, uh, means that my life has been in some way completely like anomalous to the rest of the world. Yeah. All right. Well, number two is do not quote our dad to us. (laughs) I'm going to try to be nice on this one. (laughs) Um, I listened to my dad preach every Sunday for 18 years. Uh, no, I have not read all of his books, but I've read several. Uh, what I haven't read, I've probably heard him say, because again, he is that consistent. And so it is a lit- it feels a little bit like having something rubbed in a pastor's kid's face to have the dad quoted as like, well, you know, like your dad says, I'm like, yes, yeah. I know what my dad says. Do you know why? Because I talked to him yeah. as a child. But and that that would be true for most pastors' kids uh, in different contexts. You know, they get caught misbehaving in Sunday school. Somebody's going to be like, "Well, you know, your dad said this and this about dishonoring those in authority," and you're going to yeah. be like, "I don't care. That makes me want to dishonor authority more." Let's be honest. Right, right. All right. Number three is do not ask us anything personal. You would not ask anyone else. Is this kind of the uh, based off illustrations and things like that? Yeah, this is a little bit like what we talked touched on earlier. You know, people who they feel like they know the pastor's family. And again, really well-intentioned, not trying to be creepy, but they come up and say, hey, I heard you're going to Wheaton College. I'm really excited. I have a cousin who went there and you're like, I don't even remember your name. Mm-hmm. So there's just this sense of invasion of privacy based on awareness without personal relationship. Good. Number four, uh, do not ask us anything uh, on our dad's positioning on anything. That puts the pastor's kid in a really awkward position. Hey, what does your dad think about predestination? What does your dad think about uh, the Democratic candidate for president? What does your dad think about abortion? Um, Now, that's up to a pastor's kid how they handle it. But when those questions come often enough, you you sort of have to be the 
it's like you're a front man, like a, like a campaign manager almost. And it doesn't give you any room to have your own opinions because the more you get asked about what your dad thinks, the less you are free to say, well, I think mm-hmm. your opinion matters less. And if it's different than your parents, uh, you're more likely to get, well, your dad thinks something else, you know, yeah. how dare you think that? And that's, that's not fair. Yeah. All right. Number five is do not assume you can gain an audience with the pastor through us. That's why they have personal assistants or secretaries. Um, I still get that probably a few times a week, people will email and say, Hey, is there any way you can get this to your dad or, you know, any chance he could come speak here or something like that. And while I understand, you know, the, the more, the closer I know the person, the less it bothers me because they actually have a relationship with me. Yeah. But if you need something from the pastor, there are proper channels to go through and using family members to get there are not it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, number six, do not assume that we agree with all the utterances of our fathers. That ties to the one just a couple, you know, a couple questions ago about don't ask us their position on things. Um, because so I mean, my dad obviously is a very bold speaker about things, bold, bold writer. Yep. Uh, if I chose to disagree with him, which I do on various things, um, that I I would be uh, condemned in someone's mind for doing that oftentimes. Whereas my position might actually be just as well thought out as his. It might be just as well reasoned. I might not be, you know, just being rebellious, but actually have come to a point of conviction. Um, so there has to be a sense of you are a human with your own opinions, with your own beliefs come, you know, that you've come to through your own experiences and and study and whatever else and give the pastor's kid room to have that instead of just, I mean, I have people who come up and just assume that my view on how church ought to be run or whatever is exactly the same as my dad's. And I go, well, actually, I, I don't see things like that. Yeah. And they don't know what to do with that. Yeah. All right. Number seven, which is great is just get to know us. That, yeah, that right there is, that might, that maybe that should have been number one. Um, because that relationship covers a multitude of sins in this whole context. Because if, if you know me, you will not assume that I think something. If you know me, asking me a question about what I think is not an imposition or talking about experience. Um, if you know me, you're not trying to gain an audience with my dad. You're, you're talking about a, a relational context. But the, the biggest piece there is that pastor's kids are often very much known of and very little known in a church context. And that's a very sort of lonely vacuum to be in, in the sense of like, hey, everybody can watch me, but nobody really, I don't have people I can unload my struggles to, or my personality to, or just sort of be my free to be myself around. And that makes a big, huge difference in relationships in faith in love of the church, all of those things. Totally. Um, I, I, as you kind of think through these, uh, categories of people that you wrote to mm-hmm. the pastors, the church, the PK, if you were going to just give, um, one piece of advice to yeah. each one, what was the one piece of advice that you would really give to pastors? It's, it's a little bit like what we said earlier, just focus on having a father child relationship and leave the pastoring to the congregation, you know, at, at the congregational level. All right. So relate to your, relate to them as their father, not as their pastor. All right. What about the church? Uh, to the church uh, is twofold. First is pray for your pastor's family. Cause it's really hard to mistreat people you're praying for. Um, and second is if the opportunity presents itself, 
be a friend, a real friend, not just a nosy or observer. Yeah. yeah. And then for the PK? For the PK, it is uh, set aside everything that bothers you about the church and about your family and do everything that you can to get to know Jesus as he's presented in the Gospels. My recommendation is you just start in Matthew and pay attention only to the man, Jesus, who's on those pages. And if it doesn't mesh with all the the misconceptions and preconceptions and pressures and whatever else, good. That means that you you are finding you're finding a real relationship with Jesus. And that is something that that's where grace stems from. It's where hope and happiness stems from. And it it's going to be the thing that influences all those other relationships that maybe you're not so happy right now. You mentioned a few minutes ago that especially when you were growing up through your teen years, social media wasn't at least mm-hmm. what it is now. Right. But regardless of uh, social media pastors experience a lot of criticism, Mm -hmm. whether it be from inside their church. And if you have a prominent pastor for a dad, you're going to get it outside, especially through social media. I'm uh, certain I don't follow it closely, but I'm certain being the prophetic outspoken voice that your dad is, I'm sure there's a whole, just as many people that can't stand him that love him. And so how, what is it, what is it, were you aware growing up of criticism of your dad? Did that come to you? How would you counsel, um, you know, I think the clear counsel the church members is don't criticize a kid's dad to them. That's just, seems like that shouldn't have yeah. to be said. And, that, but, yeah, and that's, and that obviously goes broader than just the pastor too. Totally. Um, but what, a, like, what was it, what was it like? How would you encourage, uh, you know, a kid who's, you know, experienced that criticism of their dad? I think, um, I think that is one of the hardest things. I was really blessed to be in a church that overall, uh, that 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 was not a major problem for us. I mean, there was some very distinct tensions in the church. There was a couple times when the church was in a real crisis situation, uh, with you know some church discipline and and a near church split and things like that. But I don't recall too many situations where people came to me and talked crap about my dad. Yeah, which I really appreciate. Social media has completely changed that game. Yeah, um, and. Now, thankfully, that has come about as I've gotten older and a little bit more mature because I'm not sure at 15 or 16, I would have responded very well. Um, But I think for a lot of pastors, kids, distancing yourself from it is good. You know, I like I don't pay attention to the critics of my dad. Okay. um, Because he doesn't need me to defend him. Yep. He's not engaging them. And so I'm going to follow his example rather than stir them up. And uh, it just, no good comes of it. It causes anxiety. It causes anger. It makes me, you know, that it would, it would cause me more emotional and spiritual damage than it would do any good to try to step, step up and defend him. Now, if there are false accusations and I'm in a position to respond, that might be one thing, but even so the other basic thing is like social media as a, as a rule, not a great place to handle criticism. No, take it offline in person, in email, something where you can explain yourself and express yourself with a tone that's conciliatory or firm without being insulting. 140 characters on Twitter just doesn't cut it. No, definitely not. And, and um, <clears throat> I think one of the ways that pastors respond to all this stuff is to really shelter their families. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the places that maybe I've been guilty at times in, in, in the name of 
you know, protecting my family from some of the things that so many other ministry families have experienced as I've sheltered them from yeah. it. And I, I was really challenged by, you said at one point in your book that the answer isn't to shelter, it's to involve yeah. the family in ministry. And so maybe just as we're kind of closing out here, any best practices that you have for pastors involving their families in the work of ministry? Yeah, I think the, the reason for, that I made that point is because it's impossible to shelter your family. Um, they, they observe and see and hear far more things than any pastor thinks that they do. Uh, especially if, if you're a good pastor, you're probably bringing ministry home anyway. You know, you're inviting people over, you have people in your home, there's people calling, there's whatever. So you're, they're aware. So a lot of that is an age relevant thing. So, you know, when they're little, it's more just talking about why church matters. You know, why do we do church? Why do we love church? Why does daddy do what daddy does? As they get older, it's probably talking through tricky things with them. Yeah, there are some people at the church who are unhappy with me because I took this stance and here's why I took it. And that's that's parenting. You know, that's mm-hmm. talking through. You have to do that on the nightly news. You know, if 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 there's if there's racial conflicts in Ferguson, you have to talk through that with your kids when they're at the right age to do so. And if there's conflicts in your church, you have to talk through those. If you try to shelter your kids, all you're really doing is isolating them to deal with it on their own because they're going to deal with it. Yep. And so, uh, and then the other thing is just encouraging them to find their place in the church. And what I mean by that is not encouraging them to be a youth group leader or something, but if they're not, if they're a quiet, unassuming person who doesn't want to take a leadership role, that's Okay. Find a way to serve in the church otherwise, maybe supporting the church office staff, maybe serving in the nursery, maybe loving old ladies because that's just a place where the tender heart comes out. I don't know. There's a million ways to do it. Yeah. But just helping them, not requiring them to do something they hate, but helping them see that involvement in the church is this awesome familial thing that has a lot of, like family, has a lot of ugliness to it as well. And you take the bad with the good because the good far outweighs it. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, last question. Let's say there's somebody listening right now who's a pastor's kid and uh, regardless of the age, but they're just dying right mm-hmm. now. Bitter, yeah. hurt. Where, what, where would you, um, what would you recommend that they do and where would you recommend that they go? That, I mean, that's so circumstantial. It's just hard because I, I mean, I've, I've corresponded with people who are 40 mm-hmm. and still bitter and broken up over stuff that happened when they were kids. Um, and I've corresponded with, you know, 17 year olds who want to, you know, just ditch church altogether. Um, I think the thing that I would say to most pastors kids, because most pastors kids are fighting that on their own. They're, they're very isolated in that is to take it to their parents. That is a terrifying thing to do because sometimes parents are really awful listeners and they don't respond well, or they feel like you are threatening their ministry And, but I think in more cases than not to go to them and say, I am struggling so much with how ministry has affected our family that it's going to be a hard conversation. It might be, there might be tears, there might be fighting for a little while, but it has to be handled at the female, at the familial level uh, at some at some point. Yeah. And if you don't feel like you can do that, find someone you can do it with. Like, that's why, you know, point number seven on that things, you know, how to, how yeah, to yeah. deal with pastor's kids is get to know them. One friend 
can be a lifesaver. That could be the thing that God puts in your life to give you an, an outlet to keep you from losing your faith or going insane because you can go to them and go, hey, here's everything I'm mad at mm-hmm. about the church or things that hurt me. And they can they can be a sounding board. They can, you know, if they're a good friend, they're not just going to let you wallow. They're going to say, um, you know, they're going to work with you, pray with you, walk with you, and then hopefully give you some guidance to say, hey, don't give up. Yeah. Don't quit. So start with the family. If you really feel like you can't do it, find one friend. It doesn't, you don't need nine friends. You need one that you can trust. Well, man, uh, thanks for the book. I'm certain it's been a huge blessing to a lot of pastors, kids. And I can just say personally, I think that it has opened my eyes to a lot of things as a first generation pastor. I think that hopefully Lord willing, um, God's used the book to make me a better dad, a better pastor dad. And, uh, hopefully my kids will be slightly less jacked up as a result (laughs) of your willingness to write this book. I, I appreciate that. And yeah, it's, uh, I'm amazed at the connections that God has brought about through it. I, you know, I wrote it crossing my fingers and hoping that a few people would be blessed and, and he, he seems to be doing so. And I, you know, it's amazing how God brings those things together. And I don't feel like I can, uh, I don't feel like I can really take any credit. I just sort of shared some stuff that God gave me in my life and, and it's, it's really helped other people. So it's encouraging to hear you say that. Good. Well, it's been a blessing to a lot, man. So thanks for being on in the room. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Enjoy being on. Since I didn't grow up a pastor's kid, I found Barnabas's counsel and insight so helpful. If you're a pastor like me, then my guess is one of your great fears is having a fruitful ministry, but having your own kids resent you and hate the church. And it doesn't have to be like that. Thanks to guys like Barnabas, we have lots of practical examples for how to build homes and churches where our own kids can thrive. So make sure you head over to Amazon and buy the pastor's kid. Now, don't forget you can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley and also at the blog, ryanhugley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We're going to be back next week with episode number 15 in my conversation with Pastor Joe Thorne. He's one of my closest friends and favorite pastors, and we're going to be discussing his brand new book, Experiencing the Trinity. And I'm sure there's going to be some jokes about beard cigars and how he's only two clicks taller than a hobbit. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you, and thanks for listening.